Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Salvatore Marici, a poet from the Quad Cities whose fourth book of poetry, entitled Sneezing Coyotes, is being released this month. Good morning, Sal. Good morning. Thank you. Now, your latest volume of poetry is being published by Ice Cube Press, which is based in North Liberty, Iowa. And Rebecca Wee, the Augustana College poetry professor, has described your work this way. The poems in Sal Marici's collection, Sneezing Coyotes, are full of color and scent, critters and questions of faith and spiritual seeking. Also, casseroles and cattle, familiar and faraway landscapes. They will take you into and beyond what you already know. You want to read and reread these poems for the many ways they make emptiness a welcome place, which, which is really such a lovely description. So how do you view this work of yours? How would you describe it? My poems, I keep, I keep coming back to imagery. Um, imagery is a sound, it's all the senses, the five senses. And I, I really like to, for a person after they read a poem, they could see what's happening, they, hopefully they could smell it or touch what I'm writing about. And then I hope they will go in and start looking at it and uh, say, oh, here's something. It's what this poem is really about. Um, now, that's 95, 96% of them. Sometimes I just have fun poems too, it's like the cooking poems that, that I have. Um, and those are just basically fun poems and maybe, Hopefully it'll get you hungry, or um, but a lot of the other stuff. I really hope that people st- I see some other sub little um, message in there. Mm-hmm. It is amazing, isn't it? How how poets in particular can use language so well, so that it it's almost a tactile experience. Like you said, you can smell something, you can feel mm-hmm. something, you experience it very intimately. Yes. Yeah, through your work. And, you know, your poems take us all over the world. So some of them are based here locally in in western Illinois, but others are in faraway places, Guatemala and Vietnam and Cambodia. And you did serve as a Peace Corps volunteer in Guatemala in the past, which undoubtedly influenced you. How do you think the ability to travel and experience the wider world has influenced your, your poetry and the subject matter you deal with? You see and you experience different cultures, um, and that's just, you just can't, that, that has to affect you somehow, inside of you. Uh, you know, in Guatemala, uh, I was there for two, two years and three months. Three months of training, two years of service. Um, and one thing in Guatemala that always was there were pigs walking around, pigs walking out of people's houses, and they just walk the streets, and they actually walk back to their houses where they live at nighttime. Um, and all of a sudden, I was in some workshop, and um, I saw a Pink Floyd concert. They had flying pigs. And all of a sudden, <laughs> that came back to me. And I got like three poems, three short poems of pigs in Guatemala. Um, but the people, the hardships... Um, 
seeing people carrying firewood a couple kilometers a day, um, at the same time probably even breastfeeding a baby or um, water on their heads, it, it's, it sticks with you. How old were you when you were a Peace Corps volunteer? I was pretty old for a Peace Corps volunteer. I turned 30 in training in Guatemala. Yeah. I took a leave without pay and went to Guatemala. Yeah, well, you can tell, you know, I didn't know that about you. I didn't know how old you were, but I, I, I guess I surmised that you might have been a little bit older just because of the topics that you were discussing. And, and you wrote one poem that was quite funny about being a Peace Corps volunteer. Yeah. It's called Need a Two to Become a Peace Corps Volunteer, where you, that must have been the score you needed to pass, the yeah, Spanish was language. the score you needed to pass. <laughs> and my Spanish, um, uh, when I was in training, they did not think I was going to pass. But <laughs> I was sick the whole time in training. Um, we, lived, we lived with a family during training, and I ate off a place that still had water on them, which had the amoebas and the giardia and so forth. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, I thought it was particularly funny knowing now that you're a poet. Uh, you described in this poem, um, you know, your, your, your struggles to pass the exam, and, and you would often use the wrong tense. You'd use the wrong gender. Um, uh-huh. And so you would resort to using your hands to gesture to communicate, which is just so funny that a poet ends up using nonverbal communication, um, you know, yeah. you know, to, to talk to people. But, uh, you, you know, you, you get this sense of your, your broader life experiences through these poems, and that's one of the things that I really loved um, about them. There's, there's another poem, To Survive Walk Straight. Yes. Yeah, which... Which I really loved. It it starts here locally in the Midwest, so it kind of grounds you. And then it veers off suddenly and you're in Hanoi, Vietnam, and then returns back home. There's this section that where you write, I blaze a steady pace on a linear path. Scooters and few cars twist and swirl around predictions of my actual locations. Resemblance of Mississippi steamboat pilots. So you use this language so well to take you Thank from you. this, yeah, this busy street scene in Hanoi where you're where you're dodging, um, you know, motorcycles, and then all of a sudden, you're kind of back home, and you're you use that imagery, reflecting back on the Mississippi. Thank you. Yeah, but you know, you you also have to walk very straight. Your your title to survive walk straight. You have to walk straight. In life. In, in life, in yes. general, yes. So yes. It, it, you really use that well, too. It's a metaphor for life in general. Well, thank you for getting it. That's <laughs> what I was saying before. Sometimes people see the imagery, but then hopefully they'll go back, they'll see something else. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could read a poem for us. There's sure. another travel one called Disturbed Circadian Rhythm, and you wrote this after you flew to Taiwan. Well, flying back from Taiwan or Vietnam, but then to Taiwan was a couple um, changeovers we had. And, um, yeah, this was at the end of, uh, it was a two-week trip, and it was uh, with a group called Rose Scholars. This was the very first tour I ever went on in my life. Um, But anyway, this is coming back. Disturbed circadian rhythm. Our plane leaves the ground 10 p.m., in Taiwan, body squash between seat arms, cruise at 500 miles per hour, travel 
13 hours. 1 a.m. in San Francisco. My head swirls clockwise. Hotel bed whirls counter. If I, if I hold a globe, I don't know if I suspend the world left or right. Can't decipher if we travel east to west or west to east. If we arrived the night before or the night after. Mm. Yeah, that's lovely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. There is this certain disorientation that you experience when you travel, you know. Uh It doesn't take that long to get halfway around the world, actually, and to be immersed in a completely different culture. And and you seem to write about the shared, you know, human needs and wants and desires. That's another thing that really jumps out, that no matter where you are, you can be here in Port Byron, Illinois, Uh or you can be in Cambodia, and we all really want the same thing. Yes, yes. Well, we all want to have food on our tables. We all want to have um, human rights, the ability to get an education or get a job um, and support yourself and your family. Yes, mm-hmm. that, is, that is a human right that we all will want to have. Yeah. yeah. And we're all vulnerable also we, in, we are. in many different ways. Yes. Well, the title of your book is, is Sneezing Coyotes, so, and that's a poem. So can you describe that one to us? Um, yeah, that's, I, I, I don't know why I did it, because that's probably one of the hardest poems <laughs> for me to read, because that's about burying my cat, um, uh, Ruby Tuesday. And um, um, she had diabetes, but that's a different point. But um, I was paranoid that even though I know if I, Plant her down on the ground far enough, the coyotes won't get me. I have like an acre of prairie behind my house. And so I use pepper. And when I put the, the coffin, the cardboard box on the ground, uh, put a little pepper over it, throw a couple of shovels of soil, then throw some more pepper over it, and <laughs> more soil, and more pepper over it. I think I used like a can of pepper <laughs> doing that. And I was really deep in there. Uh, the hole was up to my waist, so... No coyote could even smell if I didn't use the pepper, but um, that's where it came from. Well, so. it's it's pretty funny. I, I can just imagine mm-hmm. the coyotes starting to dig up your cat and then <laughs> and then saying, no, forget it. <laughs> I can't stop sneezing. <laughs> uh, well, prior to your retirement, you worked as an agronomist, which is also so fascinating. Um, during the summer months when you're back here in the Midwest and you grow, you grow garlic on a yes. farm in, in western Illinois— I understand, and I am curious about the impact that nature, you know, working with your hands, growing plants, tending to the environment, has had on your work. Well, I, I, I call myself really a peasant in, in my mind because um, that's what's so, it's the soil, it's getting grounding with the earth. Um, and and that, is, that is important to me. It gotta, I got to feel the earth. And I got to be outside. Um, if I go to Chicago, visit my brother downtown, after a couple of days, I'm ready to get out. Because it's nothing but cement, concrete. Um, so that's, that's very important to me. I also have a little vegetable garden, too. Um, raised beds and so forth. And it's grounding and kind of keeps me 
level-headed mm-hmm. as much as I can be. Well, there's this long history with poets, um, you know, working the land. I, I yeah. always think uh, in terms of agrarian poets of Wendell Berry, yeah. you know, he's been on his farm in Kentucky for his whole life. And I think he really believes, as it sounds like you do too, that tending to the earth is, is very important. And it's this this match of, you know, physical work and physical effort and intellectual effort that you that you combine yeah yeah it's um plus you see a lot of changes too when you're from the spring um to harvest time um, how the condition of the soil is the earthworms are in there you know it's nice and fluffy good tilting it um and and you get more observant to the weather, you know, how dry is it out there, hope he gets some rain, oh my gosh, they're going, the seed, seedlings are going to drown because there's too much rain, and it just keeps an observation going, and, and I think a, a, a true scientist is, is, observes, and so is a true poet, mm-hmm. yeah. is observing. Mm-hmm. You wrote a poem entitled Monocultures in which you describe the change in our ecosystems and the yeah. damage yeah that's being sustained from widespread yeah. fertilizer usage and that was such a necessary poem um and then you know you you do a great job of balancing that you know the realities of the destruction of our natural ecology with with humor so you wrote this poem also entitled bring the spring tilth inside yeah. um you know which it, it well actually why don't you can you read that poem? sure i'll be happy to um, this is about getting grounded and feeling good. And Okay, I'll just read it. It'll be a lot faster and a lot easier. Bring the spring tilt inside. Loam I cultivated in my garden. Beds in my toe prints. Fills, creases around hills. Powder like graphite coats my soles. Lubricated. I slide on laminated floors throughout the house. Windows open. Breeze touches. Ceiling fans lift sweat from my skin. Blow it through screens. With my soil, I lay on crisp sheets. Its corners, pockets, claps memory foam. I sink, then float, feel feet above earth. That's so nice. We talked earlier about how poets can use their words to almost create a tactile experience for the for the yes. reader, you know, or the listener. And when I read that poem, I could just imagine laying on bed on the bed. You're exhausted. The ceiling fans on. There's a breeze. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, you've been working the earth, and you're dirty, and there's silt on you, and and you don't care. You're just so tired. You're laying on those sheets. <laughs> yep, gives me good dreams. <laughs> it's, it's a good feel too, being outside and doing some work. And sometimes you feel it on your body, and some people make it gross, but you know, it's a good feel. Uh-huh. It's a carryover. Well, your your publisher, which is Ice Cube Press, and they're based in North Liberty, Iowa. They seem to share your delight in the natural world. Yes. Uh, the books they publish, it looked like from my 
um, kind of perusing their website focused on history, celebration mm-hmm. of rural life. So mm-hmm. how did that relationship develop between you and Ice Cube Press? Well, I got to give the Midwest Writing Center credit for this one. Um, at the David Collins Conference, which is held once a year in July, or not July, last, last week of June, um, they invited um, um, Steve Sumpkins, who was the owner of the company, to come and, and teach a class. Um, and I'm going to have to backtrack a little bit. The year before, he heard me read before. And then I became, as soon as I retired, immediately after I retired, became the uh, Midwest Writing Center um, poet, residential poet. So he has heard about me and so forth. And then uh, he invited me to his class. And so I didn't pay for it, so I don't care. Come. And it's really how to do a query um, for a publisher. And long story short, we went out to have a, a drink. Um, and he said, I'll do your book. Oh. I go, wow. So immediately I went home and wrote a query. Even though he said he'll do it, I want to show how, how serious I am about this from the class that he, he taught. And um, we've been having a great relationship ever since. Mm-hmm. What book of poetry was that? It was a chapbook called Mortals, Nature, and Their Spirits. And it was already combined, ready to go. Um, I was having another publisher, almost well, another publisher, but we just didn't click. And, you know, this is, you don't make money off of this stuff. <laughs> you know, if you have yourself make $500 on books for a year, $300, um, chances are you're going to spend it at one workshop, you know. So um, then we've been having um, a great relationship since. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, and you said the Midwest Writing Center helped facilitate that. We're, we're so lucky to have them yes. here. Yes. And you were poet lord, I think I read back in um, 2010. Well, I was called poet in residence. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did it, has the, did the Writing Center help you to cultivate a writing community here in the Quad Cities? Yes. Um, first of all, that is a writing community right there, the Writing Center, but, um, um, I um, started writing, and yeah, it's really bad stuff. You know? and, they, and we had a, um, an out loud once a month, and I used to facilitate it, but this is when I really started doing it. And uh, Susan Collins um, was a facilitator, and I wrote a poem about the Rolling Stones and the Black Glitter Jackets or something. I mean, it was really bad. Um, and um, um, she met me at Drew one day just happened to run into each other at the grocery store, and she said, come back. So I came back again. I go, wow, that's really unusual. Like somebody asked me to come back. And then um, also in the, in the one night, there was another guy, Charles um, McBride, and um, he was in charge of another group called the Quince City Poets, which is the first Wednesday of every month. And we like poets, so look into it. And uh, he said, come to Quinn City Poets. So there was a hundred, another writing community that was, you know, they weren't part of the Midwest Writing Center, but we were connected. Mm-hmm. And and um, writing groups, they're so important. Yeah, they are. And I think many people are surprised to find that we have 
those resources right here in the Quad Cities. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I noticed um, you dedicated the book at the end, or at least in mentioned the memory of Roll Tweet. Yes. Of course, he's who worked for for WVIK for so many years, yes. and others. So you must have known him. And and then yeah. one of your um, several of your poems actually in Sneezing Coyotes was um, about uh, a, a a person George. Is, is it Mathen? Yeah. From Florida. So he was in your white, must have been in your widest circle of, of riot writers. Yes, yeah. Um, George was a, I got a lot of stories. But, um, yeah, I met him at the Palm Beach Poetry Festival. And um, and he spent the winter in Naples, where I spend winter now. And, um, yeah, so we, we actually met in the same workshop. And uh, him and I were part of various writing groups down in Florida, and he, and we always sent back and forth mm-hmm. poetry. Well, I thought it was very touching. You had two poems yeah. written for him, one when he was still alive, entitled Man in Tropical Shirts Writes Poetry. Yes. And, and, the, and the very funny thing about that is when he buttoned his shirt, the, you know, he must have had done this Hawaiian-style shirt, the birds All and the, the flowers aligned perfectly when he buttoned them. And then, and then very sweetly, several pages on after he died, you wrote a poem, As We Wait for His Transport yeah. to Cremation. And, and then we see his young grandson wearing that same yeah. shirt and buttoning the buttons. Yes. And the birds and the flowers align yes. Yes. once more. And it was a once really, more. yeah, it was a beautiful touch. Thank you. Yeah. When did you first begin to think of yourself as a writer and to write poems in particular? Well, um, I think 2001 was the first poem I got published. But according to my bosses and my teachers, I was not a writer. They told me I wrote terrible. (laughs) What do they know, huh? What do they know? (laughs) And and what happened was there was a, a colonel in the office, Colonel Ayers. I don't know if he's still living in this area or not anymore. And um, he got really, he was getting really mad about the writing. It was all passive voice, all passive voice. And he took us into this one room. There was a chalkboard about five minutes before lunchtime. And he explains what passes, passive voice, the ball was thrown over the fence. Active voice, the boy threw the ball. Somebody could blame the action on, point the action to. And after that, my bosses, who always wordsmith my, uh, my writing, couldn't wordsmith it anymore. So, because I was trying to write active and... So how, how old were you when this was happening? Um, that was before the Peace Corps, so that was about 28. Mm-hmm. No, 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 that was, that was after the Peace Corps, so I was probably about 35. Yeah. And then you published, you said, your first poem in 2001. Right. So that was 20 years ago. So you must have been in your 40s. So you probably wrote for 20 years before you became published. Then is that yeah, right? Yeah, I wrote quite a bit before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it takes practice. And so can you talk about that a little bit too? Because, you know, there's there's so many different ways of writing. And some people, I understand, are very diligent about getting up at a set time and having set hours that they write. And they do the same thing every day. And there are other people who do the complete opposite. They write just randomly whenever they're inspired. What what seemed to work for you? Um, okay, let's just talk about from my new life at retirement. Um, my comp- I, my, I write mainly on the computer. 
and um, I try to write in the morning, in the afternoons, um, some you know, a few hours in the morning, and hopefully a couple hours in the afternoon or the evening, uh, and and sometimes you have I have have I have, I don't know what I'm going to write about, but I just write, and maybe I was looking at let's say a pen on a table and uh, let's say a blue black ground and and it's just trying to try to write the imagery of it and then something may happen or I'll be looking outside and, and watching the tree sway with the wind or something and I'll write about that and I'll keep writing keep writing and then hopefully maybe a line comes out Ooh, I kind of like this line let's see where it's going and maybe I'll jump off of that line and keep moving and moving. And then maybe thoughts of the past comes in. Hmm. And hopefully I'll get a direction of the poem. Um, I did not make this up. I think I heard first from um, Rebecca Wee in one of her workshops. And I think Frost has something very similar in other people. That if you know where a poem is going before you start, it's doomed. You're not going to have any surprises. The poet won't have any surprises. And the poet don't have any surprises. The readers will not have any surprises. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an exercise, and it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. You know, that's so interesting to hear because I wouldn't have guessed that that's how you construct them. I would have assu- I was working under the assumption that you knew the story you were going to tell mm-hmm. before you sat down to write it, and it sounds like that's not correct at all. No, yeah. no. Um, if you look at all my poems, 99.99% of them, um, the very first, you'll just figure, well, how did he get over here? <laughs> well, I loved it. You, what, One of your poems, Poems and Casseroles, you, yes. you compared being a poet to being a, a, a good chef, an excellent chef. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, um, an, an excellent chef can transform a very ordinary ingredient or a collection of ingredients into something spectacular. Yes. And with poetry, you're doing that too. You're just mixing words. But what yes. is produced at the end is something, you know, unbelievably good. Thank so, you. Yeah. 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 Well, Sal Marici, thank you so much for talking today. It's been a delight. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And um, the book is now pre-ordered. Um, you can pre-order one and it will be signed. Uh, just go to iSchoolPress.com. Sneezing Coyotes is the fourth volume of poetry by local writer Salvatore Marici. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. Thank you.